Good morning. My name is Debbie Brandt, and I'll be reading the scripture this morning. Early in the week, I was given a long scripture to read, which I was working on, and then I got a little bit of a reprieve because there are a couple of short verses. So we'll be reading today from two verses. The first is 1 Peter 4, verse 19, and the second will be Isaiah 41, verse 13. 1 Peter 4, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And Isaiah 41, 13. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Well, I'm sorry to interrupt our study in 1 Samuel but I wanted to share something that's going on in my family and talk about that with you today. And it's going to be hard. I, I cried in the movie Little Women, so I'm not expecting to do well today. Maybe I shouldn't have said I watched Little Women. But I did. I think I cried in Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility, not Rambo. About a year ago, my wife started to feel some weird sensations in her right arm. And about four to five months ago, she started to have limited use in her right arm. And she's of good German stock, so she does what good German stock people do, they push through. Until by the encouragement of friends like Elizabeth Timothy or the lovely Ed and Ruth Kipp, or whoever else, an annoying husband, she decides to go get checked out. Well, yesterday, sorry, Friday, she was diagnosed with ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease. That's tough news to hear. It's been just under 48 hours since we heard. She's being sent to an ALS clinic in Madison for whatever treatment they can do. There is no cure, and it is terminal. ALS, if you don't know, because honestly I didn't know much either, is a neurological disorder that causes malnourishment to the muscles, working slowly around the body from limb to limb until it impacts respiration. So it started in her right arm, which is why if you received a note or a check from us, it was my handwriting. It's slowly moved to her, it's moving toward her right leg, and it will work its way around. This is life that we're talking about. So we got the news, and our response was absolute deep shock. We were sitting in this cold doctor's office room right there by famous Dave's off Perryville with this very sweet doctor who came in on his day off to tell us. He didn't have to do that because he pretty much figured that's what it was but wanted to do some nerve and muscular tests on Friday morning and wanted extra time to sit with us. Grace, just absolute grace. Lots of tears, lots of prayers, total worry for our kids. 
because I'm 47. Our kids are almost 18, almost 16, and 11. That's rough. That's rough. There's no way around it. And I, and I almost feel guilt saying that a little bit, because I sit with people who have gone through similar things right here. You've lost two families in this room that I'm thinking of right now and seeing have lost children without any warning. I mean, I feel that. And you have tasted some of the bitterness of what I'm talking about. So I want to share that with you. I wanted to process that with you a little bit we, we, this week in Word and Prayer. If you don't know, we do a Word and Prayer on Wednesday evening. Casey Ellers leads that, and we do a Word and Prayer on Wednesday morning, and I lead that one. And in the morning when we've been going through First Peter, and we had this beautiful text this week, God's beautiful providence, where it talks about Christian suffering, that, one, that first text that Deb read, where God starts this text with the word beloved, like he starts with that word so you know what you are to God. And he exhorts us not to be surprised at suffering. And man, that is so counterculture to that American dream that we live that is actually wants to be suffering free. And at the end of the text, the, the verse that Deb read, after exhorting us to embrace our suffering as to the Lord, see it as doing exactly what Christ Himself did for us, Peter says this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator. There are so many phrases that just are hyperlinks to rich biblical theology. Notice that suffering is according to God's will. I don't want to debate theology in this moment, but I just do know that God is way bigger than my little family. And I submit my life to God's will. And so the text helps me by adding, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls. Why use the word soul? Not just body. Entrust that, just give all of you. And I love this statement. You don't actually see this a lot because I think when we think of God or especially Jesus, we think Savior. And for good reason, the Bible does say that. But notice what it says. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Love that word. And I talked with our word and prayer on Wednesday morning, knowing that I had an appointment coming up on a Friday. Knowing we were walking to something that was at least going to be bad news in some way. We were hoping life-altering, not life-ending. But man, that word just cried out to me that the one who created all of our bodies will bring it to full completion as only he can do. Man, I've grabbed that verse this week as I lay in bed at night unable to sleep. So why am I sharing this with you? Well, because I didn't think I could preach on anything else in part, so I apologize. If you have a complaint, talk to the elders. 
I didn't want to make it a focus on us. I didn't. But I knew that my position as a pastor and as a senior pastor means it's a bit more public, unavoidably. I don't want to... I don't, I don't want to deny this for my wife or my kids, but I want to protect them a little bit. I want to give you advice. And I, everything I'm going to say, would, I would say to somebody else or to you about somebody else who would be going through difficult things because you want to help. You're going to want to help my wife and me and three kids. And we're going to need it. There's that muddy middle of what in the world does that look like? And anybody who's gone through any kind of loss or severe thing would absolutely say it is not clean and easy. So we're going to have to let the Lord give guidance for her and for our kids to be cared for with wisdom and with gentleness. Right now, the nerve endings are so raw that I actually suggested to my family not to be here today because I just think it was easy to sit through this. To be honest, it was hard to come in myself, and when the singing was going, I just received today. But I think it's also my job, and an honor at that, as one of your pastors, to model what it means to be a Christian. Not merely in word, which I'll do some of today, but in deed. And it is something that you will model for me as we walk through this together. So I wrote Friday afternoon as my wife was napping and we were waiting to speak to our kids and let them know this news when they came home from school. I wrote some thoughts that I'm sharing with you today. Ten things our faith in Christ provides for us in these difficult moments. Ten things our faith in Christ provides for us in these difficult moments. It's, it's, I'm almost answering a question. How can we still praise God? We need to think biblically and Christianly about this, and it is not abstraction for me. It is not abstraction for my three kids. It was not abstraction for us when we called each of her siblings and her parents, or talked to my family, or let our friends or small, in our small group, no. None of that was abstraction. That was real. So how can we still praise God? Ten things our faith in Christ provides us for in these difficult moments. Here's the first. God is king. Has always been and always will be. And that truth becomes so important. God is king. And there is something, it was hard for us, uh, the, uh, as we're sitting in the parking lot there right off Perryville, on that little clinic, whatever the address is, we just wept for our kids. We just wept for our kids. Because that's, it, it, this is a word that came to mind that I quickly removed, it, it, at least it doesn't seem fair. There's no way that that word doesn't just want to seep in. It doesn't seem fair. But man, our kids are no more worth the overabundance of God's provision than any other child is. And that we have to let, and this is the hardest part, I, it's hard for us not to be, remember we've talked about this before, helicopter parents, 
lawnmower parents, jackhammer parents. It is hard for a mama or dad to entrust their kids to the Lord. That is hard to do. And honestly, this generation may be doing worse at that, of not letting, letting them go. Or thinking we can protect him from the evils of this world. Listen, I might be able to hold their hand at a busy street corner or know where they are in a store with me or make sure they eat their vegetables or sign them up for school. There is no barrier that I can protect them from the reality of this. There's nothing I can do. And I felt so incompetent and weak. And I felt this huge pain inside. Because I knew it would cause them pain. And I said to our Lord, the only thing I can do is give this to you. Help me give this to you. Because I could never, it was a fiction, I could never protect my kids. Truly, deeply. I could never lead them to Jesus and they would love him in every way. I never could. And some of you sit here with your own adult children not having followed the Lord. Or some of you sit here having lost your own children. You've tasted that. But there's something in me, human, selfish, prideful, that wants to claim that. But I have to absolutely, ultimately let my kids be fathered by the Lord. And God is king. Number two, God knew about all of this when he first formed my wife's body or when I first asked permission to hold her hand when we were seniors in college. It's rough. Yesterday, we're sitting at Illinois State. We went, the, our daughter went and played with a friend, which is great. And the boys and I and Laura went to uh, the first indoor track meet at Illinois State where my older son is going to be going. And our pinkies bumped on the bench, and she started to cry. Because that's what happened in 97, except in 97, well, I kind of did the same thing yesterday too, but in 97, I did the old pinky lock. It was like some weird game of thumb war, where I just, I think our hands were slowly moving together, and when they hit, they interlocked. And then I just asked, may I hold your hand, Laura Brown? And she said yes. And a few yeses after that. And so she started to cry, which is hard for my boys to see. And my older son leans over and says, what's wrong, Mom? With this big old arm around her shoulders. And she goes, Dad looked at me. <laughs> stop looking, Dad. All right. I'll stop. God knew. Reason number two God knew all of this when he first formed my wife's body and when I first asked permission to hold her hand when we were seniors in college. Number three, death is defeated and every single disease, including ALS, has been given final notice. Put in the disease that you dislike the most, cancer. Put in whatever ailment or illness, they have been defeated. They've been given a pink slip. And that is so good to know. Number four, we have new life in Christ. And, and hear this. 
It's not only already begun, but it belongs to us in eternity. Like, so the Bible describes this new life, not that all of a sudden sin and death are completely removed, they just no longer own you. But you still live in a broken world because you're still going to the doctor's offices and we're still having funerals for Christians and we're dealing with all of those things. But that new life in Christ is palpable, which is why you'll hear the apostles speak about not mourning like those who have no hope. It's real. And here, I've given you four of these ten things or reasons why we can still praise God or how Christ provides for us in these difficult moments, this is going to become more and more real for my family. That life in Christ has to be something that I embrace fully with my heart. It's not just a theological truth for a quiz I may have taken in grad school. Number five, this disease will force us to embrace our finitude and our dependence on God in every way. You know what the word finitude means? It's a good word. I can see my daughter rolling her eyes and saying, I don't want vocabulary, Dad. Finitude is the opposite of infinite. It means we're finite. Please, please note, you and I are drinking the water and breathing the air of a culture that is pursuing to be death-free. Right? It's not just gluten-free or fat-free or calorie-free drinks, somehow with flavor still. Here's the thing that you don't realize we're ingesting every single day. We live in a culture that's trying to be death-free. And death-free means all of a sudden you will try to minimize, ignore, or plain out deny that you're finite. Well, every single person can only try to ingest that diet for so long. And then the reality that you and I are not God comes to us. It may be well into your 90s, like my great uncle Bob, who just passed away in Dubuque, Iowa, just a week ago. 97 years old. Or it may be like my friend I mentioned even in a sermon this last week who passed away at 29. And the Christian embraces. It's hard. It's totally countercultural. doesn't mean you're morbid all the time. We're all going to die. Why eat pumpkin pie today? Like, no. Affinity doesn't deny common grace. It doesn't deny beauty. It just simply is realistic. It knows what is most important. It gives tons of purpose. That's why she was mad at me when I looked at her. Because I felt the finitude. And I wanted to steal a peek. But I felt more acutely than I would have felt last year. I felt the finitude. And I want to take a peek at my wife. And she got mad at me. <laughs> Not really mad, but you get it. We are trying to figure out what normal looks like now. 
But this disease will force us to embrace our finitude and our dependence on God every way. And that's been the hardest part for me. Because what I have realized, if I'm being vulnerable, is I have, I have relied on strength, gifting, and blessing way more often than I should have. And when God knocks your legs out from underneath you, on what do you stand? It's not your strength. It's not your gifting. Like I realized how many ways I just literally was embracing common grace. Just the fact that my kids aren't hungry or our bodies are working. And and then it's good. And then sing in Christ alone. Sing it loud. Because all is good. But now try to sing that when there's a massive hole in the common grace. Now sing about a solid foundation upon which I stand. Now sing those words. And as I admitted to you earlier, it was a little hard for me to do today because the Lord is still pointing to my chest and saying, entrust your soul to a faithful creator. Entrust your soul. And I still, I'm more gifted than this, Lord. I'm smarter than this, right? I'm looking for another blessing to bring over and borrow a little bit. Isn't there any equity I've got somewhere else? I see that in myself, and I praise God that He will force me to depend on Him. I've said this before, and to us, and today it fits me well, everything happens, and here's the tricky part, two, two things, everything happens for our good, and for God's glory. And the glory part, we can kind of be comfortable with, but what do you mean for our good? And what about for my three little kids? But if this, in part, forces me to rely on Christ more deeply, that is a good. That is a good. Number six, we have a church family that loves us and cares for us. I wrote a book on the church, but in the months and years to come, I'm going to need that to be lived out. We could not have made it through Friday without Fawn and Elizabeth Timothy. I really believe I am a Samoan born in a German-looking body. Just a little undercooked is our joke. Could not have made it without the two of them. That is the church. Our kids are going to need that. And uh, we're all going to need that. And again, to hear this, I mean, part of me feels a tad selfish. There are so many. Think of this right now. Like, for good or for bad, I get to talk about mine. There are literally people in this room right now and in room coming in the next service who are waiting for very scary test results about themselves. There are families right now who are worried about their kids in deep, deep ways. Do you not think they need the exact same thing? And guess who those people are for them? It's you. It's me. How can we still praise God? Because we have a church family that loves us and cares for us. 
Number seven, we found this out in a way, this news, we found this out in a way that allows for preparation and intentional expressions of love. Like, that makes it hard. It could be a couple hard years. Oh, yeah, it's going to be hard. But we get to cry together. We get to pray together. We get to say goodbyes. That's part of God's common grace. That's part of his provision. I don't want to miss God's provision. Number eight, our doctor came in. I mentioned this a little bit ago, but I'll I'll mention it in another way. Our doctor came in on his day off to show us extra care, reflecting this truth, I believe, the reality of common grace that we need and have. There are there's more doctors to see. There's, there's things that we need. We're going to need some of God's common grace. And that reminded me that there is such a thing. And I'm thankful for God for that. Number nine, the gospel is our story. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely true. And the great resurrection at the end of time and the new creation are our ultimate confidence and hope. You know what I realized in the shower yesterday morning? That the way I often framed hope was this worldly. Like I would grab for that next thing in this world, which again would rely on common grace, my own abilities. But it's, and, 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 and I, I, that's not the biblical vision of hope. The biblical vision of hope is in the unseen. The things upon, uh, for which I am completely dependent. But in a death-free culture... Hope then gets redefined as your best life now. And this is going to require me to reach into the life to come and hold hard. And that is not easy in my death-free culture and your best life now. And for that, I thank the Lord. Because the gospel is my story. And the resurrection of Jesus, the defeat of death, is absolutely true. Man, will Easter be a good morning for our family. And the great resurrection and the new creation are our ultimate confidence and hope. Finally, I've given you nine things that our faith in Christ provides for us in these difficult moments, or, or answering the question, how can we still praise God? Here's number 10. God is a good God in a, way, in, in a way that is not at all dependent upon my circumstances. God is a good God in a way that is not in any way dependent upon my circumstances. God is no less good and loving now than he on, on Friday morning than he was on Thursday morning. And he will be no less loving now than he will be in 10 years. 
or 20. He is still a good God. What's that song we sing? God, you're so good. Can you sing that for me right now? God, you're so good. God, you're so good. We just voluntarily signed you up for the choir, by the way. <laughs> because that's why, that's what I was thinking. I've said this before, but I used it this morning. As I was sitting there, I was letting you sing to me or the choir sing to me this morning. Because my soul needed those words, but my vocal cords needed a break. That's why we gather together. I'm not doing church online on an app. Can you imagine what a strange Sunday today would be if I was just on an app typing in and not hugging, hugging Carolyn Cher out in the hallway or Steve or seeing Julie Clark or hugging Gary Hoover or whoever else I'm missing? I mean, do you see what I'm saying? Like, Can you, can you imagine doing that on an app? You think we want to have an iCampus where you can just type in your prayer request? God is a good God in a way that is not in any way dependent upon my circumstances, and this is true. The, the scripture for last week, Jamie Anderson, our friend and works in our office, sent to my wife last week's scripture reading, and actually is the same text that, I don't know if Glenna knew it or not, but what she just read for us a few minutes ago and I, Laura talked to me about that text because when she started having her ailment, it was her right hand that went first. Like even to this day, she, she can't really use her right hand. It's, it's atrophying because the muscles are fading away. So she, her right hand she can't use. Isaiah 41.13, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. You hear that? I, I know exegetically that the right hand is your side of strength and all the metaphors and images, but how beautiful is Scripture? That my wife could receive that text from Jamie and share it with for me. I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helped you. Oh, good words. Good words. So, there is a lot in God's Word that Christ provides for us in these difficult moments. And there is so much that I can share with you. I just shared 10 that I wrote Friday afternoon of how we can still praise God. So let me end with this before we sing the doxology, which, by the way, is a song of praise. I'm asking you to join me, me in this in two ways. First, whatever your burdens are, brothers and sisters, visitors with us today, let me, by firsthand testimony, encourage you to bring them to our Lord Jesus Christ. Because I know in our church family and in our community there are people dealing with 
maybe different issues or different sicknesses or whatever, but you are dealing with the same gravitas, load of difficulty that our little family is dealing with. And we say this a lot. I, we say this because it's, it's theoretically and theologically true. Can you imagine living this life without Christ? Oh, absolutely. No, can't. That'd be a whole different weekend for us. I'd be looking for my best life now or looking for equity and common grace or just trying to figure out something for the next few years and not looking into eternity. But I want to say to you, if you have a hard time entrusting your soul to your faithful Creator, let me encourage you, there is no other option. And it may be just like the ways the Lord is breaking me of myself that He will teach you that, maybe not just in word, but also in deed. But let me say this to you. You, brothers and sisters, be an ambassador of the love and care of Christ for your church family and your neighbor. Love on people. Now, I'm not asking for that fully to my family. I don't want any kind of bias or extra treatment. In fact, we're trying to figure out what normality looks like with a daughter trying out for a basketball team tomorrow after school and two boys getting ready for finals a little over a week away. What's normality look like? What I'm actually saying is rather than focusing all that on one person, just think around you how many people are hurting. And you are salt and light in this world to your neighbors that none of us will ever minister to, but you've lived across the street from for seven or whatever years, or a coworker, or I don't work where you work, but you work there, or your extended family, or just people in your small group and community here that you're connected to that maybe aren't super connected to anybody else, but they're connected to you. You be an ambassador of the love and care of Christ for one another as the church. Because in all of these things, we can still praise God as according to His will, He allows us to suffer and we entrust ourselves to a faithful Creator. A Creator who says, I, the Lord, hold your right hand. And it is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, which I have needed this week. And Father, I am not naive enough to think that my brothers and sisters here earlier or now or in days to come will not also need your word. You are a good God. You are faithful and true. As we've sung since we were children, you hold the whole world in your hands. You laugh at a brokenness and know one day it will be wiped clean, including old tears. And for that, we rejoice. So help us, help my family, if I may pray publicly for them, to, to adjust and to endure and to trust. And I pray for all the other individuals and families and their burdens that this place would be living out the gospel, which isn't afraid to deny that there is sin and death. It just knows that it gets swallowed up 
by the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.